roll it. It's superficial media. And I think that these campaigns give us the veneer of, of a deep discussion. When really I, I 100% disagree. The depth comes from further discussion. This is where social media kind of rings hollow for me because anyone can jump on a campaign and say, yeah, exactly. And it can be just as guilty as a person in the news. Hello, world. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast, the official podcast of Church Mag, the number one resource for church tech and creativity. With your hosts, Eric Dye, Jeremy Smith, and Phil Schneider, it's time to level up. But first, a quick word from this week's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Phil Schneider's The Social Christian. Uh, the whole conversation about how to get your church, how you get your leaders on board, to be able to do evangelism and discipleship more, to be able to have the social and cultural understanding of everything that's going on and pertaining to your church to be able to witness and evangelize. And so I encourage you, get the book. If you want to get a church license and give it to everybody in your church, highly encourage you to do that. We definitely endorse everything that Phil says in this book. So go check it out at churchmag.press. Highly, highly encourage you to get it. Thank you, Jeremy. It's time to press start. Welcome to another episode of the Church Mag Podcast. Eric Dye here along with... Jeremy Smith and Phil Schneider. You know, this uh, past week, there has been a lot of hashtags. Um, we actually talked about hashtags not too long ago on the podcast. Actually, I think it was last week. <laughs> do you see what I do you see what I titled it, Phil? Yes, I did. Which I, which I saw you included my avatar as well, which I thought was pretty funny. You're, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, that's what essentially it was. Phil's thoughts on hashtags. They were good thoughts. It was a great discussion. Um, we're talking about hashtags again. Uh, again, it has to do with with the Me Too campaign, which if uh, you don't know what that is, apparently you're not on social media, or you might need to draw a wider circle, perhaps. It is a hashtag campaign that has been going around, and basically it is women who have experienced some form of sexual assault on them, have been anywhere between men making them feel uncomfortable to actually physically uh, being assaulted, and it is a phenomenon and experience that most men most men, not all men, but most men have no clue about, okay? It is something that occurs in our society, cultural ramifications, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure you are fully well up to speed. Now, in the past on the podcast, we have kind of brought up, even critically to some degree, of the use of hashtags in regards, or or Facebook likes, or basically social media activism, where, you know, you are giving a thumbs up for you know, fighting against sex trafficking or poverty or national disaster, stuff like that. And we have been critical in the, in the sense of, you know, you really need to get out there and take action, right? You need, you need to not just give a Facebook like, you got to back that like up with something else. But what really struck me about this particular kind of social media um, outpouring activism, whatever you want to call it, two things. Number one, is how fundamentally organic this was. This wasn't composed or created by an organization or a cause. This was this was this was a real grassroots thing that happened. And I guess maybe that's why it feels so powerful is that because it was organic and it is the true essence of social media action. Maybe not even I wouldn't even call it activism, but action. And the second thing that really caught my eye about this is the fact of the sheer volume of people. Like, I've always known that sexual soul, inappropriate comments, I've always known these things have happened. And I may have even been around a situation where that had happened and so personally caught off guard, didn't even know what to do, right? 
But I had no idea that this problem was so prolific all over. And it was only through this current social media movement that that's even, you know, opened my eyes to it being a problem so much so that I really feel emboldened and empowered to stand up, you know, no matter how uncomfortable or difficult it might be to stand up and say, hey, yo, this has to stop. I mean, this is this is part of my job. I see I send these guys off tape that I get at least one person a week that's struggling with sex abuse, one new person a week. Um, and so I have a lot of experience with um, working with people that have been offended at some capacity in this way. way. And it, it comes from either being raped um, down to molested at some capacity. It can be strangers. It can be um, people that they know. It can be family members. In fact, I think it's it's an extremely high percentage. The last I had heard was something like 70% of people that have been um, molested or raped at some capacity were by a very close person. So it's not strangers coming and doing it. It's someone that's very close to you, not somewhat close to you, very close to you. Someone that's a trusted person. Um, and so I think that, that should also be realized as far as that's concerned. Um, it should also be noted, you had said, Eric, that this is something that men typically don't experience. Actually, I think the number is about 42% of men, 42% of um, ex- of believed um, sex abuse is happened to men. Um, and so that number is actually extremely high right now. Um, the thing about it is, is that one in seven men um, ever report it, whereas women, it's about one in four, one in five. The, the, the assault that you're that you're outlining is something that is collectively, socially, completely rejected. Um, and I'm just curious, or or wondering if there's any stats on on things that that fall in the culturally gray areas. That I think everything that happens to men is seen somewhat as gray. I mean, if you were to be sexually molested by a woman and told someone in public, what would be the typical reaction? Right, right. This this is true. This oh, is true. Congratulations. I mean, I wish I could get that. Right. So. Many men don't even report it, let alone having anything with that. And then also, well, and if I if I can jump in after three minutes of silence, they also don't report it when a man assaults them either. Oh yeah, absolutely. For, for, for far different reasons. Sure, absolutely. And so, so that's a big thing. It does happen to men as well. And I think that it should be realized that I mean, we're talking about like this is a legal issue, and sixteen percent of all rapes not molestations but rapes get reported to law enforcement think about that for a second four out of five people that have been raped women or men do not feel comfortable talking about it that's not four or five four out of five times that's four out of five people and so that's a ridiculous staggering number and so when this me too campaign started happening we know it's out there right we know it's happening molestation probably even more so because that's a completely different animal than being raped and so it's it's this thing that's happening it's kind of like did you guys know that there's a civil war happening in the middle east yeah i mean i read about it on cnn oh did you know there's been a couple of terror attacks in america yeah i mean it's all over the place right it's very personal to us it's that mentality of yes there is rape happening in america and then all of a sudden you see your coworker post me too 
or that person that I did premarital counseling or one of my classmates that I was really close with and just haven't checked in with them recently. And then all of a sudden it becomes extremely personable. Well, and to not to sensationalize, but to be honest, I mean, how many people, when you really talked to talk to your family members, like your, your mother, your grandmother, you know, uh, your, your wife, perhaps before you were married would have a, a story, maybe not something as dramatic as some of the things you're seeing in the news today, but definitely right. something painful, hurtful. Um, I know, I know women who are, who have been, who have been involved in ministry their whole lives. And I know, I know at least one, um, it wasn't an action, but it was definitely some conversation that he, another minister had with her. That was highly inappropriate. Yeah, and I think it's important to, and, and when I said early on about, you know, raising a voice and stuff, I wasn't even referring to these more, what would be deemed criminal situations. I was referring to, you know, what seems to be gray areas for people, or like like you said, Phil, you know, a minister saying something inappropriate, you know, um, things that are maybe not as blatant as a cat call, but verbally are just just as bad or if not worse. And and that has a very negative, a very um, that 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 does not make women feel nice at all. No, and like, so let's 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 break it down a little bit. So um, I'll use an example from my own, my own past because I'm a flawed human being. And I can remember one time distinctly in college where I made a comment toward a to a female in my in my class and it wasn't like a suggestive comment and like a you me suggestive kind of way but it was a, it was a inappropriate and rude comment that was that was far I, I don't I don't know where the line was in that moment you know it was 10 years ago I remember her reaction being like she did not appreciate the comment and I instantaneously just felt bad about it whether whether she had cared or not, I was upset that I had even said it or thought it. And I, I think I emailed her like that night on our school email and said, Hey, I was over the line. I apologize for if anyway, offending you at all. And, you know, she was gracious and I, it still bothers me to this day. And she never mentioned it again, you know, but the comment I mentioned earlier, the, the, the male minister talking to the female minister, um, his comments were more along the lines of suggesting you and I stuff. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like he was propositioning her, but it was just, it was just, it was just pointed enough to where you couldn't say he was joking. He went too far. You know what I'm saying he was definitely being, being uh, passive aggressively aggressive about sex mm-hmm. and, or, and or at the very least the topic of sex, if not the actual act of sex. Yeah. And I think to make this conversation about church and then church tech after that is that one of the things for domestic violence um, and domestic violence with sexual abuse is obviously molestation or rape that is unwanted is considered domestic sexual domestic violence. But then if you also hold a position of power, like being an adult over a child, which is child sexual abuse, being a teacher or being a pastor. So if you have sex with someone that has been coerced in any way, and think about how great that gets whenever you're a pastor over someone, you can absolutely state that there was sexual abuse there from a position of power. And so for pastors moving into this realm, you have to be absolutely careful, not even just for the sake of the law, though, but obviously for 
sin and the care of another person and just to realize what that looks like. Cause it's not like we have the most beautiful past within the church. We have a terrible recent track record on this. And then, and then the question is, is with church tech, what does this look like as far as all of this is concerned? Um, what do we do with this hashtag? Like as church tech, I'm talking to you guys directly. If one of your friends, neighbors, or congregation members posts me too, what do you say as the social media manager, as a congregation member, as a single person that knows that person? What do you say? Well, before we get too far down that road, if you're the social media manager for your church, you don't say anything until you've cleared your policy and your perspective with your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, not that your pastor should mind if you say, I'm so sorry for this happened to you. You have not know their story is. You don't know what you're, you don't know what can of worms you're opening in your church's name. So yep. how you handle that should go through your pastor, or at least uh, your immediate, you know, pastoral contact on that, on, on the food chain. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, church account has no place for this because it's too personal not to say that the church can't do that but i think that the pastor's accounts the your individual accounts would be more appropriate depending on how it is that you approach it so let's say that the the organization that is your church is out of the picture um what do you say individually Mm -hmm. well I, i would say that uh you know a lot of times there can be, I don't know, like you're a dude and you're in church and they're talking about the ladies meeting or something and like your brain checks out, right? Because you're like, this is a lady thing. It doesn't apply to me, right? You just automatically check out. And I think that it's easy with something like this for uh, clearly the statistics that Jeremy showed would 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 possibly say differently. But from my perspective, anyway, it's easy to check out, right? It's easy to think, oh, this is a ladies thing. Like, I don't need to worry about it. But I, I've just been kind of overwhelmed with how many people have been saying things and even heard enough stories from my own wife and daughters to know that, you know, when I see hints of this in the world, right, with other men, with other, with other men saying things or, or showing any kind of behavior that something needs to be said that that a standing up needs to to occur that a, sol- a solidarity needs to happen and so today i i tweeted it from you know it, it felt a little weird i felt i had to be i felt like i had to be very very careful because it is a very touchy situation i mean you're talking about um a very sensitive subject and as a dude I really felt the need to, you know, be cautious, but I just felt the need to put it out there and kind of join in solidarity. Like, Hey, you know, I'm going to do my part to put other guys in place when they're stepping out of line, you know? Um, so, and if you know me, you know that I'm not the jump on a hashtag kind of guy. And I really felt the need to do that with this one. Here's my question. And I'll be very careful with this. Okay. I, as much as many of the comments I've seen online about people who, are sharing their stories, or at least sharing their the fact that they have a story with absence of any details, which is fine. They don't have to share the details to share the hashtag. But for the people, so the, let's play. Okay, so Jeremy's stats alone tell us there's a problem, right? Well, let's just, let's just go ahead and assume there's a problem out there. The people who know there's a problem are probably not going to be convinced the problem because the hashtags they know there's a problem the problem becomes more personal for them yes 
the people who deny there's a problem, who say, well, women, you know, they, they want it and then they don't want it. And it's buyer's remorse. So those kinds, you know, victim blaming mentalities, this kind of thing does not convince them. And so all it does is continue to feed into the bifurcation we dealt, we talked about numerous times before. I, I think that, that first of all, there's, you know, jerks usually stay jerks. I think what this, something like this does is it wakes up the, it wakes up a lot of good people that maybe, you know, this is, it's a grassroots awareness is what it is. Like if you do this in a year from now, then it's, it feels very on repeat. Like it doesn't have that effect like you're saying, but it feels to me like with, with the dynamics of everything and, and whatnot, this really feels like, a wake-up call, in a sense. So, to me, this this first run is 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 really good. It, it's kind of like the sex trafficking. When the sex trafficking information campaign first came out, they were really really great, and then it came to a point where it was just a nonprofit money making machine. It's like everybody already knows about trafficking, right? What are we going to do about it, right? It required a next action. And, and, and that's what I think that this is. This is kind of like the first pass. So what's really important, I think, here is, you know, where do we act from here? Like, what actions do we take now that we're aware? You know, in another year, this it's like you said, it's just another, another thing, right? Well, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like breast cancer awareness fundraisers that my school has sometimes. We're already aware, you know, like we're aware. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Eric, but I think that um, I the problem with these grassroots campaigns is, yes, unless someone switches into action mode, it's, it is meaningless, ultimately, as it move the needle. Exactly. And, and th- this is where I feel like it has had power for me personally, where in in so many situations, I would hold back because you don't want to deal with the any any fallout in of the situation. Whereas now I feel I feel like. There is a team behind me uh, that, that people in general, when they see or they sense or they hear that action, suddenly I'm not the crazy guy in the room for telling somebody that they're being inappropriate. Like your comments to that woman about her appearance and her looking pretty, you think you're being a nice guy. You're actually being a creep and you should stop. Right. Like before, that would seem like a thing that you wouldn't want to do, whereas now it feels kind of like, hey, Thanks for saying something. Well, now the impetus is on you if you don't say something. If you, you know, yeah. And I, and I agree. That's a good point. I guess my thought on this is that we've been, we've divided. I know that we're we've got an audience far outside the United States, but I'll just put this in our context because all I can speak to with authority is that we've got the we've got two large groups in our in our nation there's a conservative group and a liberal group and the conservative group would is all over this because this came out in a wake of a liberal person who you know is being founded to all this stuff and yet conservatives have had numerous members of their their group in the news in the past year and a half to two years for some of the similar behaviors um and both groups rush to justify their own person. Well, they're a good person otherwise, and, you know, they've made some mistakes, so they're from a different era or whatever. And so to me, in that, in that instance, you know, just because we see, we're, we're identifying the issue, um, the people who are actually committing these things are, are still going to be, you know, allowed to, to continue doing them. Um, I, the Harvey Weinstein is the reason why we're talking about this right now. And if we didn't know about his, if somebody else had been had been caught 
per se, right? And he hadn't been, he'd have shared a tweet about the not me, not you know, me too stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is where social media kind of rings hollow for me because anyone can jump on a campaign and say, yeah, exactly. And they can be just as guilty as a person in the news. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what made this a little bit different, Phil, is that this, this came from, this came from a victim and gave, um, emboldened many victims. And, yeah. You know, it's not it's not about the perpetrator in any of the situations. Right. It's a lot a lot more about the victims. And as far as, you know, it is. Uh, this let me be clear, though, my, my point is not to diminish the importance of the campaign in general. My point or in particular, my point is to ask, what is the power impact of these kind of things in in the general? And the, in a way, it's just like we talked about on my podcast last time with the, you know, the prayers for Harvey stuff. It's just a conscience washer. So, in, for, for the let me clarify for those who are not victims, for the victims, it might be an empowering moment to speak up and be honest about their their story and the what they've suffered. But for those on the on the outside looking in, who are you know sad facing things on Facebook or you know replying with you know condolences or some sort of comment on Twitter, for them it's a chance to wash their hands of the whole thing and see I'm comforted a victim. I'm in no way part of this overall systemic problem yeah see i see i don't i i don't feel i don't feel that way at all i actually feel empowered like i've never been victimized myself but i feel i feel empowered and emboldened i feel like that i can speak out or stand up in any given situation now because i feel like i'm not being a weirdo that it's been normalized to not not to not tolerate this kind of behavior like the next time you hear an inappropriate joke or anything that's on the line you can say eh that's not cool don't do that i feel like we're we're approaching this very logically but sexual abuse is anything but logical yeah the act of it is illogical but no no the, the response for the victim is 100% illogical. While this this campaign is coming campaign this uh this grassroots um, action is from victims. I feel like it is. It's coming from. It's giving a voice to victims to say something in an effort to alert everyone to prevent it from from ha- to prevent it from creating new victims. Does that make sense? Right. But yes. But I think that because of our approach, however we decide to do it, um, I think that changes things. Like if you're. If your boss posts me too, do you tell them on social media, I'm praying for you? Is that too callous? Is that too simplistic? Is that too... It's too simplistic. I would talk to them in person. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't reply. Is your, is your silence also saying something? Well, okay. So for me, um, people posted things and I didn't, I sad faced things on Facebook. So how do you respond to them? You know what I'm saying? This is my, this is my problem. And to be clear, first off, here's, we're three guys talking about this. Let's be clear. We have, we have really very little right to comment on the issue itself. Well, but see, that's what, that's what, that's why my angle, <laughs> that's why my angle on this was like from somebody who's not a victim and for someone who's actually pretty critical of these kind of social media movements of, you know, what, what got my attention and how it's effect on me, you know, that's, that's pretty self-centered, I suppose. No, I mean, it's important. These are good questions. This is, this is a more important question. I think you have a more important question though, Phil or Jeremy of, you know, a coworker brings it up. 
what do you do or a boss? What do you do? Yeah, that, that that's a good question. I think, I think your Eric, your point was just that there's value in the, in the campaign. Sure. And my, my question has been, is, is there value in the campaign is, I know the social media is what we communicate now. The social media is anything but social. It's surface media. It's superficial media. And I think that these campaigns give us the veneer of, of a deep discussion when they're really, I, there isn't, there isn't I hundred percent disagree. I adamantly, I'm not saying it can't be deep, Jeremy. I'm just saying for many people, it is surface and it gives them the impression of depth. Well, yeah, I I still disagree. Yeah, no, I I think the depth comes, the the depth comes from further discussion. Like it's a social media is a conversation starter. Yes. And I don't think it goes many places elsewhere for some, for for many people. Well, here we are podcasting about it. You know what? Every single time I see those four people that posted today about me too. I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for them. Jeremy, I will never, Jeremy, ever, Jeremy, ever not think about it. We're never talking about you, man. Okay. You're not the average person. Well, I'm talking about okay. the average user, the average, in, in, you know, the average engager with these posts. They're not in general. I feel like, and this is where the church needs to do a better job. And this is where I think that this campaign could be opportunity for us. Not to, that sounds, that sounds really, that sounds really, really cynical, but these moments that happen, this is where the church needs to engage in thoughtful ways. And I feel like many times social media does not lend itself towards thoughtfulness. It's a quick response and move on. Keep scrolling. Right. Agreed. Okay. Let me, well, so uh, let me ask you guys, will you, when you guys, no, 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 no. we agreed. You can't, you can't follow up with a question. <laughs> will you guys, will you guys, what will you guys do ne- next time you see that person that posted? What will you, what will be your personal in, in reality, they're standing in front of you. What will your response be having seen that? Well, there's only, only three people I saw who had it. Okay, so take one, one of those people, obviously. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to filter through them. One person is living in my state. The other two, I don't know well enough to have any real face-to-face comment at all. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think a lot of people that are saying that are using Me Too, they're necessarily saying, hey, come talk to me about this. Hey, I want to you know, maybe relive my pain or I want to talk about this with you. Just some person. It can be, it can be re-traumatizing. Yeah, just so to I, I think it's really saying, look, it happened to me too. This is important. We should do something about it. Please stop. Agreed. Which is why I'm asking this question. Like, do you say, hey, do you want to talk about this? That can be the worst thing ever to say to that person. Absolutely. That that's that that's why that that's what really got my attention with this 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 action is that it felt so much different, so different than so many other kind of social media goings on in, to me personally. It had a completely different dynamic. In my social media brain, I'm thinking, how many people am I going to go onto that ChurchCom website and, set and see the idea of me- private messaging those people to ask if they want to do a video about that? That would infuriate me beyond measure to even... I mean, I'm like, my blood's boiling and it, I don't even know of anybody that's ever even considered that, let alone done that. And, but is it going to be, a ha- is it something that's going to happen? A hundred percent. I guarantee you will happen from a church standpoint. It, it'll be for the sake of let's make this a public conversation because that's what we've been trying to do. And that could be the worst thing possible. If anything, it should be, it should be an opportunity for the church to say, Hey, you know, even though we are for quote unquote, um, gender specific roles in no way do we support this kind of behavior of men opposed to just not talking about it choosing silence we had a woman a few years ago 
let a few woman a few years ago give uh, her testimony uh, of what happened to her after she was was raped, and I sadly to say I don't think our church was ready to process that. Um, but um, we've are we since then, and that was probably oh my gosh, it was probably eight or nine years ago. So it really was not part of the conversation. You know, what I'm saying it was not part of. I don't want to say that like the the world wasn't woke to sexual assault and to rape, but the church certainly wasn't. Um, and I mean the church national, that uh, in my opinion. But uh, since then, we've my pa- our pastor. Like I was just looking it up last just last May, we just we were doing a series on things the Bible says that no one believes it says, and talked about how the Bible is, is clear we should value women. And he spoke to both men and women. Like women, you should value each other. Don't don't backbite. Don't judge each other for on appearances. Don't don't be like men. And then um, to the men, he said, "Do you do you value women? How do you talk about your wife to your kids? Hey, talk, hey, talk, hey, how do you talk to your wife? Yeah, speaking. Oh." This makes me think of a thing that, you know, several years ago before we went, before we were in Italy, there was this big thing where, where, where guys, Christian guys, it was like a, it felt like a Christian men's movement. People talking about their hot wife, quote unquote, their hot wife. Smoking hot. Oh my gosh, guys. It smit that whenever I saw that Phil, it would make my blood boil. I'm like, why? What is that a compliment to your wife? That is sick. How am I supposed to reply to that? Yeah, she is. I mean, come yeah. on. Relevant podcast did a whole, has done numerous riffs on this because it is super infuriating. And their analysis was this: it's it's like um some sort of weird mental game. It's a trap. Either you're one telling your pastor, you know, she doesn't do it for me, or two, you're saying, yeah, I guess you got some pics. You know, what do you what do you what do you what do you what do you, what do you want there, pastor? What do you want? See, and, and th- this is. This is no, the thing about the Me Too. It's not just about the. It's not. It's not only about those who have been criminally, uh, criminally violated. It also, to me, speaks to that kind of behavior, where the pastor who from the pulpit says, "Hey, look at that. We've got a pretty blonde here in the back. Welcome to our church." Like I've actually seen that happen. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is like the. That's like catcalling from the frickin' pulpit. And we wonder why the church was so readily to, so has historically been so ready to endorse people, you know, men leaders with such uh, poor, you know, poor personal morals. You know, it's because, because those, those little things add up to big things. So, so if you're a church tech geek gamer, okay. All right. You know what? Don't be intimidated by these dudes, right? Stand up, Tell them they're wrong. The next time you're playing a multiplayer game and somebody's harassing women or or saying things that are disparaging, stand up to them, right? Flipping me too. All right, people. Can we go back to the hot wife thing real quick, though? I got. I got to add one thing on there. Please, please, please so, do because it it is. Oh, it's like yeah, under my. Oh, it makes me so. I love <clears throat> just. I love especially when youth pastors say it in front of a bunch of junior high boys. Look at my hot wife. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Like, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? They- I mean, it's wrong on so many levels. Like number one, you're objectifying your wife, which is terrible. And then, and then you put everybody else in the most difficult situation possible. Well, actually, if you put some junior high boys in a situation they want to be entirely. It's you know, you're feeding. You're, you're literally you're, you're going to talk about your hot wife, and they're going to do a, a sermon on you know on sexual purity. So uh, it's just it's bizarre, but. Um, uh, Sean Nequest, who is 
I think, uh, unduly rele- relegated to the world of, of women's, you know, Christian writings. She's a great writer. Uh, read her book, Present Over Perfect, last year. It was, it was, or earlier this year, actually. It's been a long year. It was very good. Um, Literature sainthood, I like to think of. So, what's that again? What? Literature sainthood. Her writing is, like, ridiculous. Um I don't know what that means. I'm gonna, I want to move past it because <laughs> I think you're trying to be nice. And I'm, like, I'm not sure what that means. Hey, I'm I, just, to be nice. I decided last year to be much more critical when reading books. I don't give out five stars unless I'm like floored. But she got a four. I'm pretty sure. So a four is like okay, this is as good as I thought it would be. And I was pleasantly, I was pleasant, I was pleased, and I learned a lot reading this book. But anyway, um, she made the comment that when you call your wife hot, you are basically it's a compliment for yourself. Look what I won. Look what I bagged. I caught her. This is mine. Yeah. When you call your wife, when you call your wife wise or insightful or intelligent um, or like my partner, my equal, you are elevating her and you, and, and you, you could, in a sense, you want, Hey, how lucky and fortunate am I that I have a wife as intelligent and as, and, and as, as cool as my wife is. But when you put it like, look how hot she is. It's like you're proving your male dominance. That you're able to snag this beauty. At least publicly. I, it's just for me the whole publicity of it yeah, is the is the issue. Understood, but I, I, I've heard I've heard guys in- right. Like if I'm going to publicly talk about if I'm going to publicly talk about my wife, I'm going to say, you know, she's funnier than me, which is fact, and she's smarter than me, which I'm pretty sure is fact we'll as well. Go, we'll get we'll get her on here then. We'll cut it I, up. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but you know, even Jeremy, even in private, I've heard I've had guys talk to me, even ministers sometimes going, "Man, my wife is beautiful." And you know they say, and they say, you know they have this say, you know they look like their moms after a few years. I'm looking pretty good because her mother-in-law is smoking at sixty. I mean, private as in between me and my spouse. That that's no. not private. Okay, <laughs> but even then though, even then, Jeremy, I think I think my wife and I've talked, my wife and I've talked about this and stuff, and I don't know, I don't, I think the word hot or sexy and maybe some women are okay with this and that's fine it's between you and your spouse and how you how you operate but i think we need we need a better vocabulary for complimenting our wives so today i was talking to a coworker. and we're talking about some issues with students and i said you know this is where i wish I had my wife could kind of work with me because she's incredibly insightful she's got a high emotional intelligence and she's very good at analyzing people identifying their issues and offering some key advice and that's you know if she she didn't hear that and i didn't tell her i said that so i'm not gonna mention her brownie points but if she heard me if she heard me say that that to her her would have meant far more than i told her she's beautiful you know why phil because that is the kind of compliment that anybody would want to hear yeah, exactly and that's the thing hey by the way women are people too let's end up with that <laughs> actually let's not let's not let's go let's go kind of theological real quick here so this is where i'm not, i don't know my view i'm so sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna go thirty thousand feet real quick okay here we go i don't know what my cosmological theological view is on the nature of, ge- of gender um in a you know god man woman kind of thing is i'm not sure where i f- fit there but let's be clear that god is infinite and in as much as the the various races and cultures of earth express small individually express small bits and pieces of his infinity um the the dual nature of man and woman is also needed to fully express who god is and in that women and men are co-image bearers of god's glory and we should treat women as such 
Send us an email, subscribe, and search for previous episodes of the Church Mag Podcast by visiting Church Mag Online. You'll find a link on our main menu. Go to churchm.ag. That's Church Mag. And while you're visiting Church Mag, send us a message. And be sure to subscribe to the Church Mag Podcast so you can receive an early release of the new show every Friday. We don't do that for just anyone. The Church Mag Podcast is proudly hosted on buzzsprout.com. 